everybody. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. Happy to have you. Happy Sunday. Before we start the message this morning, we're going to receive the least of these offerings. If you guys can come on up. Uh, For those of you who don't know, we do this once a month. We receive what we call the least of these offerings. 100% of this goes to help the poor in Campbellsville. You may not know or realize. You can go ahead and pass it. Go for it. Uh, You may not realize that there are lots of people in our community who need help and... I would like to confirm that there are. So this offering goes to keep uh, food in cabinets and uh, we, mostly for single moms and stuff. And it's a big deal. So I'd encourage you to be very, very generous. Everybody happy this morning? One absolutely. Good, good, good. Man, wasn't worship good? Holy smokes. Holy smokes. So good. High fives, worship band. High fives. Hey, if you want to open up your Bibles to First John chapter four, we're gonna lurk lurk. We're gonna lurk. I speak for a living. We're gonna lurk at some some verses. We're going to look at a few verses this morning. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And because it's the fourth Sunday of Advent, this is the week of love. We've been looking at the scriptures for the past four weeks. And we've been highlighting and meditating on a few of the key themes of Advent. Advent means coming. Meaning like the the coming and the birth of Jesus. Not just his first coming, but also the way in which we anticipate his second coming. And so we've been looking at and meditating on in the scriptures on themes like hope and peace and last week joy. Did you guys enjoy the, the yelling we did last week? Yeah. We, we might have to yell just because today. I don't even know. That might From now on, that might be our benediction. <clears throat> we didn't have a benediction last week. We just we shouted like crazy people. Um, and I've noticed that all the new people who were here last week didn't come back this week. <laughs> but this week is the theme of love. And I want to read just a few verses to you. This is out of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. It reads like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. That's extremely plain, isn't it? it Like Anybody could catch this. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, or was made known to us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, and sit his son to be the propitiation, meaning sacrifice, atonement, forgiveness for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Underline that. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Here's where I want to start before we begin to unpack the scripture a little bit. I want to start with a question, and it's okay for you to answer out loud. Uh, in case you're new here, sometimes we do interactive sermons. I've got a question this morning. What, what is God like? 
This person is quite perceptive. Who said that? Amy. Everyone give Amy a high five. Amy. He's love. What else is God like? He's merciful. What else? Patient. Kind and gentle. Anything else? For the benefit of the audio archive, he's like a hot Krispy Kreme donut. I do not disagree. Years of theological training have gone into that opinion. What else is God like? He's just. Anything else? He's like a mother's hug when you've been away for a month. I think we're actually getting a little bit real now. He's a friend. Okay, so he's all of these things. He's a friend. He's love. He's merciful. He's like a mother's hug after you've been away for a month. He is a hot Krispy Kreme donut. Like a hot Krispy Kreme donut. The simile there actually matters. I have another question. We need interaction on this as well. How do you know what God is like? I'm sorry, what did you say right here? Someone said something over here? Faith. Someone said something else over here? Relationship. How do you know what God is like? Amy, what did you say? He lives within us. Someone here was some communication. I'm sorry. Say that again. Humble. How do you? But how do you know? How do you know what God is like? Because Pastor Adam tells you so. If your only mediation into what God is like is Pastor Adam, I just want to confirm for you: you're screwed. God help us. Okay. How do you know? The Bible, finally. Someone. The Bible. The scriptures, right? Like it's one of the ways we know how, what God is like. But I've got a question about the scripture thing. I agree. The scriptures is one of the ways we know what God is like. But what if your interpretation of the scriptures is jacked up? Like really? Like what happens if your interpretation of the scripture is jacked up? Then you ask the Holy Spirit. I agree on that as well. But what if your participation with the Holy Spirit is jacked up? What if somebody taught you some stuff about the Holy Spirit that just isn't real? (laughs) Isn't this fun? All right, let's take time out on this for a minute. Can we take time out? We're going to begin to unpack the scriptures because I believe one of the things that this scripture is about, one of the main things that this scripture is about, and it's about several things, and we're hopefully going to unpack several of them this morning, but one of the main things that this scripture is about is verse 12, no one has ever seen God. This scripture is in many, many ways profoundly about how we know who God is and what he is like. How do we know? So here's what we're going to do this morning, if you will allow me. 
we're going to walk through these verses two times. We're going to go once a little bit on the quick side, and then we're going to do another time a little bit slower. Is that all right? Do I have participation? Do I have agreement in the room? All right, so let's go. We're going to walk quickly just so we can kind of catch a big field, and then we're going to go in a little deeper, if that's all right. We'll start with verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God, and I love this little phrase, and knows God. So one of the things that John is saying to us here, he's saying that anybody who is loving another person is in some ways showing, proving, demonstrating that they actually know who God is. Meaning this, that you can't just listen to the words that come out of people's mouths, and you can't just be impressed with the revelation that someone has, uh, and you can't just look at a person's ministry gifts, even though all of these things are good, helpful, oftentimes fruitful. They are at 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 the core, at the foundation, none of those things. A person's ministry gift, a person's revelation, uh, the amount that someone seems to know about God, uh, the degree to which someone can effectively communicate like actual knowledge about God. None of those things are the foundational barometer for whether that person actually knows God at all. Even a little bit. Meaning that you could actually get up and talk a good game about God and not know him. Dang. Dang. How do you know if somebody knows God at all? How they treat other people. Verse 7. I love that John connects the idea of loving others with knowing God. Now here in the vineyard, we're, 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 we're in a stream of the church that, that, that prizes like gifts of ministry and, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like that's, that's one of the things that we're known for. We, we, we don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit passed away with the apostles. We believe that they're here and that they're present and that anything could happen. And none of, none of the gifts of the Spirit are proof that a person knows God. Somebody could heal the sick and talk a good game and maybe not know God in a profound way at all. Isn't that crazy? It says a couple things. Number one, God is so kind. He is so, so kind. He loves people so much that he would let someone say things about him and pray for people who was far from him, and he would still honor it because he loves that other person so much. But it's instructive for us. How do we know if somebody really, really loves God? None of those are barometers of what a person really knows. And to quote St. Paul, I want to put this up this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. This is what Paul says. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Bummer town. Verse 9. Let's go back to that First John passage now. Verse 9 says this. In this way, the love of God was made manifest or made known among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. One of the things that we can gather here is that the Christmas story is no small deal. It's one of the reasons that we're looking at this passage this morning. Uh, The Christmas story, like focusing on the birth of Jesus, it's more than a warm fuzzy in front of the fire. It's more than a spiritual Snuggie. Uh, (laughs) You let one person like that. I worked hard on that line. (laughs) The the incarnation, that that God would become a person, that Jesus would put on flesh and blood, this is huge this is huge and it's really important that as a church every single year we spend a good amount of time 
contemplating that God has become a person. Um, by the way, I oftentimes get to travel and talk to the church around about all kinds of stuff. And I can tell you right now, uh, there's a couple things that uh, frequently stir people up and make them somewhat angry when I talk. Uh, one of the things that I talk about sometimes that really makes people upset and angry and nervous is when we start talking about the incarnation and when we start talking about the humanity of Jesus. Everybody's totally cool with spiritual Jesus. Ain't, no one's cool with... I, I'm, I'm terrible this morning. No one is... Almost no one is cool with human, man, flesh and blood, skin and bone Jesus. That one freaks people out. But it's absolute bedrock foundational and it's actually in some profound way a demonstration of god's love for us one of the things that john says in this passage right before is that a lot of false teachers and i've one of the things that i've seen in my own life is that the root of a lot of false teaching is not that jesus is god but that jesus is a man the denial of that let me read this to you First John chapter 4, verse 1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Then verse 2, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. How do you know? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, not just come, but has come in the flesh. You see, the incarnation is really, really important. Jesus is a man. Jesus was a baby born in a barn crying at his mother's breast. And somehow, that reality was a demonstration of God and his love. It's one of the reasons that we slow down here every year. And we consider this stuff. You can't lose it. We've got to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the, the fact that God would become like us in every single way. You've got you to you slow down and consider that. Because if you don't, what you can end up with is a dualistic Christian faith. What do I mean by dualistic Christian faith? What I mean is this. You'll end up with a faith that puts all kinds of confidence in a spirit world and puts no value or confidence in this present world. God loves both. See, some people believe that heaven is good and the earth is bad, that spirit is good and, the earth, and that bodies are bad. That is profoundly unchristian. Jesus is a man, meaning that our bodies are good, that life is good, that the earth is good, that, uh, that, that our interactions, that relationships are good, that things like family are profoundly not just good, but highly prized and valued by God. And if we lose sight of a baby born in a barn, and by the way, that little Christmas, uh, that little Christmas carol that sometimes sung about Jesus, away in a manger, no crying he makes, garbage. Practical and theological garbage. How many of you understand Jesus cried? when he was a baby, and pooped in his diaper. Wow, right? And all of this is profoundly important and somehow demonstrates the love of God for us. A, that he would come, and B, that he values the life that we live. Really big deal. Then verse 10, quickly. God's love is seen in his coming as a baby and his living as a man, but also in his dying. Uh, your death and my death became Jesus' death so that his life could become your life and my life. There are two great pillars of the Christian faith. One is the incarnation, and the second is the passion of Jesus. If you want to talk about God, then you end up having to talk about love. And if you want to talk about love, you simply have to talk about the birth of Jesus 
and the sacrificial death and resurrection. And then in verse 11, John says that if we're loved like this, then this is the sort of love that we should express towards others. Sort of makes sense, right? God loves in this crazy abundant way. He's given himself to us. And John says, this is the kind of love that you should love each other with. And then in verse 12, he says that no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, there's a connection that John is sort of making here, especially if you read the passage that comes before and after it becomes even a little clearer. But in verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And the idea that he's connecting here is this, that what has been unseen, what is unknown, and that aspect of who God is that remains in mystery form, it becomes seen, known, non-mysterious, touchable, tangible, and knowable when you and I love each other like God loves us. What is God like? Well, God is like Jesus. What is Jesus like? Jesus is like love. And how will the world know? They will know when you and I love one another. This is how God is seen in the world. This little verse here, verse 12, it's an echo of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 18, says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Who is at the Father's side and makes the Father known? Jesus. What is God like? God is like Jesus. We need to get this over and over again. We learn what God is like through the Scriptures, but we see the clearest picture of who God is in Jesus. God is like Jesus. Jesus. He makes him known. It's the reason that we need Jesus. We need him to show us what love really is. Otherwise, we're left to our own devices and our own ideas. And in a room this size, especially when you combine it with the first service crew, when you put this kind of a collection of people together, one of the things that you figure out really quickly is that everybody in the room has been touched and in some ways harmed by other people who had a definition of love that wasn't quite as good as God's. We could tell horror stories all day long. So because of that, we need a guide. And we need a sign. We need an example. It's why we need Jesus. And this is a huge part of the Advent story. In Jesus, we begin to see what no one has ever seen. And in Jesus, we most clearly see what, is, what has been hidden from the mist for ages. So the question is, what is Jesus like? God is like Jesus. What is Jesus like? Jesus is the love of God put on display. Well, what is the love of God put on display like? Well, I'd like to suggest a couple things from the scripture this morning. Three in particular, if you're taking notes, if you're that kind of a person. If you're a super Christian. There's a, there's a few super Christians here. They take notes every Sunday. <clears throat> and if you're not a super Christian, it's totally cool. Totally. You'll get in. I was never a super Christian. What is God's love like? Well, number one, it's present. It's what we see here in verse 9. In this, the love of God is made manifest or made known. That God sent his son into the world. God's love is first and foremost, foundationally, it is president. President. Dude, man, present. How many of you understand that love is proximity-based? So much of what love is is proximity-based. Have you ever noticed that? Love is proximity-based. 
Meaning that you might be able to love someone at a distance. And the truth is you can love someone at a distance. But you probably can't love someone at a distance that you never knew or never met previously before. Am I right? See, even, even, even long-distance long relationships start with some proximity. Love is, at a foundational level, present. It has to be close. And Jesus shredded all distance in becoming a baby. He went from heaven to earth. He went from exalted to humbled. He went from limitless to limited. He went from universal to local, from life right into death. See, Jesus knows. Jesus really knows. And his love is not stained with pity. This is really important, by the way. His love is not stained with pity. He is not some benevolent Hollywood benefactor. He's not the guy in the sky writing checks. And let me just say something about writing checks. I actually prefer writing checks. Probably some of you do as well. Here's the reason that I prefer writing checks. Here's the reason that a lot of times you and I would prefer the Hollywood benefactor model rather than Jesus' model. The first reason is that it just reinforces that I'm rich. And the second reason is it keeps me separated from the pain. Like I don't really have to deal with it. Like if, if, if I can solve your problem by writing you a check, my history has been I'll just write you a check. Because number one, it lets you know I'm rich, you poor people. And then two, it keeps me separated from your crazy drama. God is not like that. At all. And if we're the least bit honest, if we're the least bit honest, you and I would have to admit that so many of the world's problems are rooted actually in separation and distance. Even when people want to help or understand the distance between us, and the distance between us is not always miles. It could be emotional distance. It can be historical difference. The distances that just happened because you grew up different than I did. So even when people want to help or understand, the distance between us makes the work of help and understanding all the more difficult. It's hard to know what you have not experienced, and it's hard to help what you have not lived. It's one of the reasons why we have all of this drama in the news right now. We have all this drama in the news right now. We have all this racial tension in our country right now. And at the root of the racial tension in our country right now is the fact that we have different stories. And even when people try to help one another, it oftentimes gets clouded. It oftentimes gets screwed up. When you don't live someone else's life, it's sometimes very, very hard to help them. Sometimes, even when you're trying to help, it comes off as, comes off as grandiose. It comes off as, it's off-putting sometimes. It comes off as, let me help you little poor people. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Have you ever tried to help someone and then they get angry at you? Why is that? The, the reason that sometimes we try to help people and they get angry at us is because we have a different story. And maybe we think we see the problem, but maybe we don't. And, and sometimes we just flat out don't. And I, I, will, I will say this as a pastor here at the Vineyard. Um, we're, we're mostly a white church, and I'm hoping that we become less white. I hope we become more multicultural and ethnic. I would like to say that, that a lot of times, just as white people growing up in America, there is a thing called white privilege, and it really does blind us to how the rest of the world lives. Uh, you can try to help people in certain communities, and it comes off as 
something other. And the reason it comes off as something other is because we, we really don't get it. And until you get in it, until you live it, until it's a part of your everyday routine, you just don't know. And then, then from other sides, like, like sometimes people cannot receive help, even though maybe the helper is giving something they really, really need. They can't receive it as help because they, they don't know what it's like on the other side. They don't know what it's like on the other side. They don't even have a concept of something better, right? It's like training. It's like trying to explain someone who grew up in McDonald's that there's an In-N-Out burger and that it's better. You know, I mean, and until you eat the In-N-Out burger, you just don't know. And you can, you can talk to them about In-N-Out burgers, but they may just think that you're a jerk. That you should come into this McDonald's and have yourself a little onion burger. You know those little onions at McDonald's? What, what, is, what are those things? What are those? Those are terrible. See, this is the kind of distance that Jesus annihilated. Jesus is loved, is not shame-inducing, And it is not pity-tinged charity. So does this mean that we should give up helping? Does it mean that we should stop writing checks? The answer is no. But it does mean that we should be aware of the ways that distance is a real life force and that has to be addressed. And it means we should work to move closer. See, right now, there may be an area that God's asking you to be Jesus in. The very first step of being Jesus to someone or to some issue or to some group of people is moving close. It's impossible to really be Jesus to any person or to any group of people or to any issue by keeping a distance from it. Jesus was born into the human condition. Jesus was born in a barn. Jesus doesn't understand poverty because he made the world. Jesus doesn't understand poverty because he's omniscient and knows everything about everything. Jesus knows poverty because he was poor. And Jesus doesn't doesn't understand sickness and pain because he sits in heaven and has, has a panoramic view on the world's sickness and pain. Jesus understands sickness and pain because he has been sick and he has been tortured. Jesus does not understand Jesus Jesus does not understand things the way that you and I would like to understand them in our own life. Jesus lives in it. The very beginning of God's kind of love is getting in it. You have to get in it. That's what Jesus does. He gets in it. All the way in, all the way down, all the way in, all the way down. Jesus knows what it's like to have cancer because on the cross every sickness and disease got placed on him. He doesn't know it from a theoretical standpoint. He knows it. Jesus knows what it's like to be tortured and humiliated. Maybe you've been humiliated. Maybe you've been bullied. Maybe you've been, maybe people have spoken terrible things to you. Jesus knows it, not from a theoretical place. He knows it from an actual place. Jesus was stripped naked, hung on a cross in front of his mom. How many of you understand? You don't want to be stripped naked. You don't want to be hung on a cross. And you definitely don't want to be stripped naked in front of your mom. And that's kind of funny. You can laugh. I'm trying to bring a little levity here. Jesus knows this stuff, and he doesn't know it from a theoretical place. He knows it from an actual place. He's lived in it. Love 
God's kind of love is presence. It's being there. You cannot send a Christmas card with $15 once a year and love someone. That means more to some people in this room than others. Secondly, God's kind of love, the kind that we see here in the scripture. Verse 10, verse 9 and 10 is giving. God sent his only son into the world, verse 9. We didn't love God, but he sent us his son to be the propitiation, to be the forgiveness, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love is giving. God's love is not an idea. In the church, when we talk about love, it it mostly comes off as intellectual. God's love is not ideas. Uh, It's more than speeches. It's better than sermons. It's way better than my sermons. And it's way more than our pithy, inspirational posts on Facebook. Your little memes. It's more than that. God's love is... uh, Yeah, I just busted you and your memes. (laughs) It's more than that. It's giving. Here's the gospel in miniature. God gave his son... His only son. Jesus gave his life. Therefore we give. I also believe that giving. Is a barometer for being born again. You'll know that you've met a real believer. When you get around somebody who's profoundly generous. The phrase. The phrase stingy Christian. The phrase stingy Christian. Is nonsensical. It's like tall yellow. Heaven's love is generous. Not only is heaven's love generous, but heaven's love is generous with the good stuff. God is lavish with the good stuff. He's not just generous with the okay stuff. He's generous with the profoundly good stuff. For example, a ring and a robe and a party for the terrible son. Isn't that cool? I love that. Ring, robe, party for the terrible son. A feast for nobodies on the streets. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a man who made a feast. Invited all his friends and they didn't want to come. So he says, go out on the streets. Find the nobodies and compel them to come. And his house was full. Oh, my other favorite one. This is what God's love is like. The very best wine, 180 gallons of the very best wine, served to wedding guests who have already had too much to drink. At the end of that story, they say, you've saved the best to last. This is God's kind of love. It's lavish. It's over the top. It's unnecessary. It is frivolous. It is more than you can drink after you've been drunk. Y'all understand that in John chapter 2, when Jesus turns the water to wine, those people are drunk, and what he makes them is more wine, an impossible amount to drink. Let that mess with your theology for a little bit. Now, is Pastor Adam saying it's okay to be drunk? No, it'll eventually ruin your life, and your wife will hate you. (laughs) But God's kingdom is over the top lavish with the good stuff are you kidding me are you kidding me jesus is not serving yellowtail 
<laughs> it, yellowtail don't even make it in. They confiscate that stuff at the door, you know? Part of my theology is hell is, hell is cases and cases of yellowtail. Hell is ye- cases and cases of yellowtail packed on a 747 jet where no one has enough leg room that never lands. If you've traveled a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. That's it. I'm thirsty. Here's some yellowtail. Can't get up. And then finally, Jesus' very own blood for the least and the lost. Jesus' blood. Jesus' life. Not somebody else, not some joker somewhere. Jesus' blood in his life. I've got a question. Here's the question. If Jesus' blood was the solution, then what was the malady? See, sometimes we get disconnected from our need. We think, well, you know, we're not that bad. It's all good. Everything's cool. Hang on. Wait just a second. Time out. If the solution was Jesus' blood, then how bad was the malady? See, God is generous. And he's constantly giving away the treasure. One of the things that the world needs right now is it needs believers who aren't holding too tightly. The world needs believers right now who are giving away treasure, who are giving away the good stuff. And you might be asking, well, what is the good stuff? Well, first off, the gospel is the good stuff, the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God's kingdom is crashing into the present, that everything that we thought was locked in the future is actually showing up early. That's, that's the good news, and we can't get too disconnected from that. I know, we live in a, I know that we live in a postmodern culture. I know that, that culture is quickly becoming post-religious and post-Christian and post-this and that. And That's cool. I understand that. And In some ways, I'm kind of happy about that. It makes life a lot better. But in other ways, one of the things that you and I have to fight to maintain is we have to realize that, that the good news, that God's kingdom, his rule and reign, all the stuff that we thought was later, like heaven, See, you know, most of the church, even believers, think that heaven is later, like after you die. That's totally not true. Jesus came to bring it now. The future is showing up early. It's why Jesus healed the sick and cast out devils everywhere everywhere he went. Why? Because the rule of God is showing up early. This is part of the good stuff. We need to be radically generous with that. And, And because most of our culture doesn't want to hear about that right now, they actually do want to hear about that, but they don't know it. Uh, We've done such a bad job of presenting it, and we've done such a bad job of living that, and we've done such a poor job of actually loving each other, that most of people in culture are sort of deaf to that. And so what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to be really radically generous, really over-the-top, abundantly kind, and frivolous with some other good stuff. What is the other good stuff that we should be generous with? Uh, Well, for, for starters, our time, our energy, and our money. Uh, not only that, but our expertise, our table, everything that we consider our very best. I- I'll talk about two of those really briefly here. Uh, Heather and I have found in the last five or six years that the best place of ministry is our kitchen table. People are so disconnected from actual family. We have seen God do more at our dinner table than I've ever seen him do here or out there. People are wide open. God is saying, if you will be radically generous with your home, if you will get out of the idea that home is a sanctuary, but home is also a place for the orphan, Psalm 68, he takes the lonely and sets them into family. If you will get into that idea and open up our dinner table, cook somebody a meal. Like, 
Make a good meal. Go out and get something that isn't yellowtail and open that up. Talk to somebody about life issues. Ask questions like, how are you doing? No, really. The comma, no, really, is really important. (laughs) Oh, I'm blessed. Oh, God. (laughs) Your dinner table is such a place to meet the Lord. We've seen God do so many amazing things. Not only that, but the second area that we've seen God really move, especially in this community of faith here at the Vineyard, is we've seen God really move with people who are willing to be generous with their expertise. Here's how the world works. The world works like this. Uh, You study, and you study, and you work, and you work, and you learn something. And then after you learn something, you do it, and then you do it, and then you do it. And then after you do it for a while, you get good at the thing you learned. And then after you get good at the thing you learned, you stumble into a new area that no one ever thought of or did before, and it's kind of the thing you're known for. And then you brand it and you trademark it and you make sure that no one ever knows about it other than the way that they experience it in the form that you want them to experience it. And you keep all the trade secrets for yourself and you hide them in a packet and you send them to your lawyer's office and no one's allowed to know and you guard it with your life. Right? This is how the world works, right? Trademark that junk. One of the things that we've seen here at the Vineyard is that God is really blessing people who are willing to be generous with their expertise and the thing they're known for. Give it away. Just go ahead and start telling people. Here's the good news. Uh, most people most people don't have enough ambition to really do what you're telling them anyway, so just go ahead and tell them. It's actually a little more safe than you think. But go ahead and tell people because the one or two people who are really ambitious and who have ears to hear and who have legs to do, they might actually do something, and God is blessing people who are willing to be generous and give away in two or three hours what took you 10 years to get. I've seen God do so much with that right there. I've seen God open up doors for gospel news, future breaking into the now, after people were really generous with expertise, my trademark stuff. Does this make sense? That's what heaven's like. By the way, I want to talk to you about ideas just for a second. Sometimes we we get these ideas. We're sort of an entrepreneurial church, and we have a lot of people here who do business and, and who have ideas. I just want to tell you, like, let's don't hang on to our ideas. Ideas that you hang on to, they're manna. They rot the next day. Give them away. How do you get new ideas? You get new ideas by giving them away. Just give people ideas. Become an idea fountain. God is abundantly, profoundly, forever creative. You are not going to run out of ideas if you stay connected to him. Go ahead and do it. Be profoundly generous. Give people a hope. Give people a vision. Have 19 things. Have, a, have an idea. Give it away. 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 That's where the good stuff is. That's where the good stuff is. Imagine a completely generous church. Imagine believers who were generous with their expertise and their table and their money. Imagine people who were present. Imagine a generous church. Another way of saying giving and another way of saying generous with respect to God's love is to say that God's love is active and on display. One of the first verses that I ever memorized was Romans 5.8, which says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We could camp out here all day long, but we won't. I do want to say this, though. God's love is active and on display. We know that it's active and on display because of the verses we read in 1 John this morning, but also here in Romans it says God demonstrates his love. Demonstrates means to put it on display, right? 
If God is demonstrating his love, it means a couple things. Number one, it means that God's love is actually knowable. God's love is not an esoteric idea. It's actually something very foundational and very practical, and it's, it's actually very knowable. But secondly, secondly, God demonstrates it because it is sure, it's true, it's consistent, it's unchanging, it will not fail. Um, businessmen and pitchmen, they only demonstrate things that, are, that they are utterly confident in, right? How many of you all ever get hung late at night watching infomercials? I don't understand. I can be flipping, and I, if I stop on an infomercial... I'm, I'm there, and I'm there for the long haul. Like, I might watch it twice. I don't even get it, right? You guys remember the, the Ronco rotisserie? Yeah, man. Some of y'all don't stay up late. Sweet. But businessmen, they only demonstrate things that they're utterly confident in. And God's confidence rests in his love. He puts it on display. He demonstrates it. It never fails. And then finally, one of the things that we see from the First John passage, we can put it back up there, is that God's love is sacrificial. Now, this is closely related to the point we just made about generosity. But it needs to be made in its own right. God's love is sacrificial. Kingdom generosity is not just giving off the top of our excess. But kingdom generosity goes down to quick and marrow. Jesus' love is a love that cost him everything. Not only that, but God's kind of love is not, not so worried about the cost. No, it knows the cost. God's love is not foolish. It isn't unaware. It's just that in God's kingdom, cost is not the final determiner. It gives until there's nothing left. Now, here's why you and I can give until there's nothing left. Because when we've been loved by God like this, somewhere in our heart, we know that there's actually no such thing as empty in God's kingdom. You guys remember, you guys remember the little boy who's listening to Jesus teach? Everybody gets a little bit hungry. It's long about lunchtime, and people are a little bit nervous, and Jesus says, well, what do you have? And one, one, one kid says, well, I've got... I've got, I've got a couple fish and some loaves. And Jesus says, okay, that's enough. See, in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, two loaves and five fish become enough for thousands of people with 12 baskets full. See, we can love like Jesus does, sacrificially giving all the way down to bone, all the way down to marrow, all the way down to blood. We can give like that because we know that in God's kingdom, there is no such thing as empty. I'm convinced that even now that God wants to do maybe a few Advent miracles. Father gave his son, and the son gave his life. And by the way, giving the way that Jesus gave, giving sacrificial, showing up, being present, being generous, this is not about being a pushover. This is not about letting the bullies of the world get their way. Well, it may look like that, but it's not a form of weakness. It oftentimes does look like weakness, 
But to the degree that we believe that Jesus' kind of love is weakness is the degree to which we haven't yet fully seen it for what it is. See, Jesus looked like a defeated criminal on the cross. Everybody who was passing by thought, well, Jesus is just another criminal. Except he was the most innocent guy who's ever lived. The root of sacrificial love is not weakness. The root of sacrificial love is actually caring for other people. Not first thinking about myself, but thinking about another person and doing what's best for them and living for the good of others. This is what God is calling our church to. He's calling us to this kind of demonstration. And I believe in it. I believe in it that God could do some Advent miracles. I I believe that there is a resource available, and maybe you're aware of it or maybe you're not, but I believe that there is grace from God to begin to care about another person all the way down to the point where you have nothing, only to find that God multiplies your nothing into something amazing. We have Jesus' love. You and I are totally held. Totally loved. And because of that, we can love just the same. The world wants to know what God is like. In many ways, the world has never seen God fully. And I would like to suggest that it's possible to show people. Amen? Amen. Hey, why don't we do this? Uh, why don't you guys stand up? I want to pray for you. But we're going we're gonna to wait on God just for a minute. We're going to wait on His Holy Spirit.